business leaders. Listen up. It's time to eliminate bad attitudes, politics, and distrust on your business teams. It's time to change the culture of your team. That means you as the leader must change. It's time for you to have impact. Learn how from corporate consultant Dave Anderson on Impact Talk Radio. Designed to impact high-impact leaders who want to lead high-impact teams. It's time to stop reacting and start leading. Here's Dave Anderson with Impact Talk Radio. You know, Julie had her reservations. She wasn't sure if this guy was right for the job. And over my first 18 months on the job, Julie had always spoke with candor, and she seemed to be a good judge of people. But, you know, I didn't listen. I convinced myself, and then I convinced her that this guy was right for the job. And I made a good case, and with some skepticism, she finally agreed, so I hired him. But within 90 days, I knew I was in trouble. I mean, I should have listened to Julie. I, it turns out my instincts about this guy, they all were wrong. His arrogance alienated him from both his customers and the rest of our team. And when I, I would coach him, his face would turn bright red. He'd argue with me and blame others for all his problems. And, you know, our company had a rigid performance management process that I had to follow. I couldn't just tell him he was done. We made a mistake and fire him. It took another six months to move him out. But the damage to my team and the damage to my relationship with Julie had been done. I'm Dave Anderson, and this is Impact Talk Radio. And you can find this show and every show that we do right here on Impact Talk Radio on iTunes. And when you go to iTunes, please rate us. Give us a rating. Help our show move up the list so people can find us uh, find us better. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at DaveAnderson88, or check out the website, AndersonLeadershipSolutions.com. Now, back to that story. Why didn't I listen to Julie? Well, really, there were three reasons. You know, I had a deadline. I wanted to get this guy into the next scheduled training class. The sooner he was in training, the sooner I could get him in the field selling. And the company, you know, measured number of days and the territory was empty. And I wanted to look good to my boss and everybody else. And that was a bad decision. Let me tell you, a deadline's a terrible excuse for doing a bad job. While hiring deadlines come and go, bad hires come and stay. And I, I got to tell you, I may have lost 30 days if I had listened to Julie, but I lost eight months by paying attention to a deadline. I had to, uh, you know what? I stopped paying attention to those deadlines. But you know, when I stopped paying attention, I had to fight my bosses at times and explain my delays for hiring. But most of the time, they understood. Sometimes the best candidate doesn't show up before the deadline. I needed to have the courage to wait and have the and the faith to know that the right person was out there. Now, the second reason I I didn't listen to Julie was because you know I felt like I was pretty good at interviewing. I mean, I'm a good interviewer. People told me that I was good in a 90-minute interview. I asked great questions, and often got, I got people to tell me things that they didn't even tell their spouses. But unfortunately, I, you know, I put too much stock in my instinct and my interviewing skills. I didn't give Julie's opinion the way to deserve, and that was a big mistake. You know, I needed to trust her because I brought Julie into the process because she was good at her job and she was a leader and she was discerning. I ignored all three of those attributes because Julie was not able to give me specific feedback. She just had a gut feeling. And when I asked Julie to evaluate the candidate, I told her I trusted her judgment and believed in her. And when I ignored her advice, I demonstrated to her and the whole team I didn't trust her. As a result, it hurt my trust with all of them. Now, since that time, if one person in the hiring process ever has their reservations, I listen. Each time I've stopped the process and reassessed the red flags found by, by the other people saved me months of heartache. 
The third reason I didn't listen to Julie was because I was in charge. I believed I had a good grasp on what the, was best for the team. And honestly, I thought Julie was overreacting. This was going to be my decision, and I needed to act decisively. Arrogance and insecurity are often two sides of the same coin, let me tell you. And, you know, I, I didn't need – I did need to act decisively. Unfortunately, I acted decisively because I needed me to act decisively. The sad but true fact was I needed to prove something to myself. I needed to prove I had better judgment than my the people who worked for me. I wanted to be able to say, I told you so. You know what that's it called? That's called bad leadership. So, you know, leaders can be wrong. I thought I was showing weakness if I changed direction due to the advice of somebody else. But I believe that a strong leader needs to act decisively. Unfortunately, I'd spent only two hours with the candidate while Julie had spent like eight hours with him, four times as much as I had. And then I ignored her. In reality, what I thought was strength was actually my weakness. I became strong, a stronger leaner when I was able to accept the counsel from my team. As soon as I realized I didn't have the market cornered on wisdom, guess what? I became wiser. So if I listened to someone that I claimed I trusted, my team would have been better. My relationship with Julie wouldn't have taken a hit, and I wouldn't have had to deal with the nightmare working with the HR system to fire a bad hire. Now, don't get me wrong. Every piece of advice is not good advice. I just got to determine who my trusted advisors are, and then I got to take the time to listen and evaluate and act based on their advice. They're not always going to be right, but they will, I'm always going to trust them. I'm always going to show them that I trust them by listening and not assuming I always know better. That's a lesson I learned about hiring salespeople. Today we're going to have Jeb Blunt on, and he's the author of Fanatical Prospecting. When we get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk with him about what makes a great salespeople, great salespeople great. We'll be right back after this message. This is Impact Talk Radio, a dose of reality, a dose of advice, a dose of impact solutions. Dave Anderson will be right back. Imagine if you could stop reacting and start leading because you lead a low-maintenance team. A low-maintenance team has initiative, integrity, and enthusiasm. A low-maintenance team is fun to lead because they don't bicker, play politics, or wait for you, the leader, to tell them what to do. The Overwhelmed Manager's Guide to a Winning Culture is a step-by-step program that will eliminate bad attitudes, politics, and distrust on a team. The Overwhelmed Manager's Guide to a Winning Culture is a video-based course that provides even the busiest leaders with practical, real-life solutions that can be implemented during the whirlwind and busyness of your daily job. Watch the free introductory videos at OverwhelmedManagersGuide.com and learn more about what the Overwhelmed Manager's Guide to a Winning Culture can do for busy leaders who want to lead low-maintenance teams. Get the free PDF Hiring for Character Interview Guide by going to OverwhelmedManagersGuide.com and downloading the OMG Power Pack. Don't wait. Stop reacting and start leading. Visit OverwhelmedManagersGuide.com and start building your low-maintenance team today. Welcome back to Impact Talk Radio. 
It's time to stop reacting and start believing. Hey, this is Dave Anderson, and we're we're back here, and we're going to be uh, coming here with Jeb Blount. Uh, Jeb Blunt, I'm sorry, and Jeb is the author of uh, best-selling author of seven books, including Fanatical Prospecting, uh, and also People Follow You and and people buy you. He's a sales acceleration specialist who helps organizations reach peak performance fast by optimizing talent, leveraging training and to cultivate high performance sales culture, developing leadership and coaching skills and applying more effective organizational design. Through his company's Sales Gravy, Channel EQ, and Innovate Knowledge, he advises many of the world's leading organizations and their executives on the impact of emotional intelligence and interpersonal skills in sales, leadership, customer experience, channel development, and strategic, strategic account management. And today we're going to talk to Jeb about what makes great salespeople great. In my opening, I talked about the mistakes, uh, one mistake I made in hiring and finding great salespeople. And I know all of us out there listening have made mistakes in hiring and wondering about what what makes a great salesperson. So Jeb has a huge amount of experience. So Jeb, I just want to thank you for being here today uh, okay. and joining thank us. You. Thank you for having me on. It's, it's uh, totally my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm thrilled. Well, I'll tell you, I th- this is a uh, subject near and dear in my heart because during the break, you and I were talking about both of our uh, backgrounds in sales management, sales leadership positions in the corporate world. And you know, we've all seen good people and we've all seen the, op- the opposite side of the coin here. What do you believe the number one reason for, fail- for failure is for salespeople, uh, salespeople out there? I mean, well, the number one reason for failure in sales is an empty pipeline. I mean, that's just what it is. And the number one reason for an empty pipeline is the failure to prospect. And I think if you're a business owner or you're an executive and you're listening to this and you look at your salespeople who fail you, it's because they they never have enough in their pipeline. And you were telling your story earlier about the salesperson that was failing you and you were trying to coach them and help them and their arrogance got in the way of it. And if you really look back and search that, most of the problem that they had were was they weren't doing the activity. Because they weren't doing the activity, they didn't have enough to sell. And so a lot of the conflict was over chasing stall deals or working on things that were going to close. Or the worst thing is forecasting deals that were going to close, but they never closed. Mm-hmm. And then when you confronted them about the deal that they told you was going to close, there was a bunch of excuses. And all of that, root cause of all of that, is the lack of activity or lack of prospecting. In other words, putting things on top of the funnel. Yeah, yeah, that that's an interesting thing. You and I were talking about our our common path out of the corporate world into running your own business, and then when you're out here, and I know there's a lot of people out there listening because we have a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and they're thinking about that sales funnel. And you know, for me, as I started this business four years ago, putting people in the front end of that funnel, you would see this. It wouldn't. The gap wouldn't happen in business. Wouldn't happen that same week or that same month. It was way down the road. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that's we, we in the book Fanatical Prospecting. We talk about something called the 30 day rule, which simply says that the effort that you make in any given 30 day period is, tends to pay off over the next 90 days. And mm-hmm. so what happens is, you know, if you're not prospecting, you're not doing the activity. You don't even know, realize what's happened to you when 90 days later you wake up and you're dealing with a bunch of stalled accounts or you're calling on the same you know, businesses over and over and over again and they keep putting you off and you don't realize that the reason that's happening to you is because you stop prospecting. And when you talk about small businesses and entrepreneurs, people who are, are especially 
solopreneurs who have to deliver their their services. They have to go get new new deals in the pipeline. They have to generate leads. This this is, becomes especially problematic because what happens is when they're empty, when they don't have anything, when they first start their business, they prospect like crazy. They call other friends. They reach out to other business networks. They're doing all this work on the web. They're trying to pull leads in. They're doing all of these all of this activity. And then they get a couple of clients. And so they quit doing the activity because the activity is not very much fun. And they focus on the clients. And then they have to focus on getting their business organized. And they get really good at administrative work. And they quit prospecting. And then they wake up one day and they're starving to death. They can't pay the bills. So they go back and do it again. And it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. And the solution to that is recognizing the 30-day rule. The work you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off over the next 90 days. And so if you accept that as truth, which I do, then you recognize that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how good things are, no matter how many clients you are, no matter how busy you are, no matter how many spreadsheets you got to fill out that day, every day, every morning you wake up and you do a little bit of prospecting. And what you'll find is that the cumulative impact of that effort pays off exponentially you know, over time. And the hard thing for most people is, like you said, it's tying the prospecting activity of today to a success that they may have, you know, down the road. And let me give you a a, just a tremendous example of why this is so powerful. I do a lot of speeches. I'm on the road 200 and last year I did 272 days, but I'm on the road a lot and I'm all over the globe and I do a ton of keynotes and a lot of training and a lot of workshops. And whenever I go, I'm. I pack, I, I give away thousands of business cards and I always have a pocket full of them. My goal is to give out every business card and you know what it's like after you give a speech, people come up to you and talk to you. So yeah. it's the best way in the world to generate a lead. So I just hand out business cards. So three weeks ago, I get a call from this cat that I met two years earlier at a conference who called me out of nowhere and usually my salespeople pick up my line, but my line rang through to me, so I guess serendipitously. I picked it up and it's this guy. He's like, I, I met you a couple of years ago at a conference. He gave me my business card. I was just starting my business at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I've got a pretty large sales team. We, we've got a big show we're going to. And I'm wondering, I know this is last minute, can I get you to come in and tune my salespeople up so that they'll do a better job at the show? Two years ago, I handed a business card out. And two years later, it resulted in a sale that I made right there on the spot that was really profitable. It's going to help him. It's going to help me. And it was because... When I talk about fanatical prospecting, I mean always on, all the time, never stop. You're always working at it, and it pays off. You know, when you were describing that uh, person who's starting out and their, their business and everything, I'm thinking, Jeb, you, were you in my were you in my house when this this was happening <laughs> when I was starting my business? I started my business after leaving corporate world, wearing suits all the time, and my first. Two months of work, I was in shorts and a T-shirt with a milk crate beside my recliner making phone calls. And uh, that's almost exactly the pattern. And I was a sales leader. I mean, I was screaming at my people and talking to my people about prospecting all the time. And then I went out there and did ex- exactly the pattern that you just, de- that you just described. Uh, I mean, we all, we, I, I think we've all done that. I mean, when I first, you know, like you just, I mean, I could have, you could have sat in my house when I started sales gravy. Ten years ago, uh, you know, I was, I mean, I'm actually sitting in my office barefoot right now, so I was sitting <laughs> in my office, you know, barefooted, and I'd be on the phone. I, I made cold calls all day long, and 
And then when, when I when I first started Sales Gravy, I started Sales Gravy as a job board. And today we're the we're the largest sales job board in the world, and where most salespeople begin their search for new sales jobs. And so I started that business basically not in my garage, but in my house. And one of the things that I had to do with that job was was the same thing. Mentally, I had to focus because I would get. Like at my first enterprise um, sale was ADP, for example. Mm-hmm. And so when I got that, I had all this work to do. And I was literally the customer service person. I was the salesperson. I was the CEO of the company. I was the web designer. I had to put all the stuff in. I had to take care of everything. I mean, all of that stuff I had to do. And I had to mentally make myself every day get up and do a prospecting block. And one of the things that I did building Sales Gravy that was, you know, I look back on it now and I think it was a lot of fun. But at the time, it was just... I, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this because I left a, I was in the corner office. Like I went to corner office. I had a couple of assistants. You know, I lived the, I worked in mm-hmm. Fortune 500 corporate world and I left there and got on the telephone. And what I was doing was I was walking around and I mean, I'd get on the airplane, but I would go to job fairs and I had a little flyer that says, post your job on sales gravy. And I would go to these job fairs and I would crash the job fairs and go to every single recruiter in the job fair and hand up my flyer. And I got more than more than I can possibly um, tell you how embarrassing it was. But I got kicked out of a lot of those job fairs by security who hauled me out and slipped me on the on the uh, street corner. Um, <laughs> but you had to do that in order to build the business. I mean, today I have a whole sales team that does that. And but yesterday I've got a brand new sales rep. She's 21 years old. Fantastic. And what are we doing? We're talking about, you know, what do you do when someone tells you no on the telephone? How do you handle that? How do you message it? What do you say? And but the but the reason that we can have that conversation with her is because she's willing to do the activity. If she was unwilling yeah. to do the activity, we have no conversation left. What am I what am I supposed to do? What are we going to coach? So the good news is that she's willing to get on the phone every day and 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 d- dial a lot of numbers. The bad news is she's not getting very good results because she doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. But it's one of the this is a true for the you know for a business who's hiring a salesperson. And I know the hardest thing that I ever did as a business person. I mean, and I and I ran. I mean, I had a thousand salespeople that worked for me across you know the, the country. The hardest thing I ever did was hire my first salesperson for mm. every single reason that you said in your opening monologue. And you know what? Here's the thing I'll tell you. I've made that same mistake more than a dozen times. Yeah. And, and, and I never made that mistake in corporate America. Never. And <laughs> the reason I didn't was because we had HR people and I had really good – we had processes for hiring people. A lot of my sales managers did. But pretty, for the most part, we had a pretty good job of hiring the right people. When I became an entrepreneur – I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I was talking about. I was always under time pressure. I was not able to hire the very best people. I was usually desperate because I was running out of time. So, I mean, it's what most entrepreneurs run into, right? You you get to mm-hmm. a point where the only way you can scale is to hire somebody else. And and I've made I've made dozens of mistakes. And so one of the things that I did with my company, and we did this. Uh, actually, this has been not too long, about three years ago. I took me out of the hiring process. I no longer make hiring decisions for my company because yeah. I'm not, because as an entrepreneur, I'm really not very good at it, and I'm too close to the business. Mm. But so, I was going to ask you about this hiring thing. You know, so I'm, uh, when we're talking about what makes great salespeople great, 
there's that argument between somebody with industry knowledge or com- who came from a competitor versus somebody who's got a clean slate. Where do you have an opinion on that? I, I do. I mean, as a as a business that helps companies hire salespeople, you know, that's one of the ongoing arguments that we have with our clients. Is hey, well, you know, the the, the HR company comes in and say they buy a bunch of job posts from us, and um, we're sending them salespeople, and they'll come back and say, well, you know, none of these salespeople have industry experience. And even though it says I'll only take salespeople with industry experience on the job post, you know, people who are looking for sales jobs recognize one thing. Industry experience is meaningless. Right. And we'll spend time talking to them. And this is a, this is, in my opinion, a lot of it's the, from a leadership standpoint, it's being lazy. It's, mm-hmm. it's assuming that a person must have some sort of a, um, and I noticed you said this on your website, but it's like they have to have some level of competence in the product mm-hmm. or the industry in order to succeed. And, my experience has told me just the opposite. Let me give you an example. My very best sales rep, my very best one, was a, um, a counter, um, I don't know, employee at a florist. I, I ran into her, got, you know, got talking to her and realized that she had everything it took to be fantastic at sales, and I hired her. Mm-hmm. One of the best salespeople that I ever met um, uh, was is a lady named Jody Bagwell, and she, I met her, she was a preschool teacher and I was, I was working for, um, I, at the time I was a vice president of corporate accounts for a company called La Petite Academy. And we built these, these onsite childcare facilities for like, we had one at NASA, we had one at Opryland and she was a preschool teacher. And I, I met her in the process of, I started off working with this company as a consultant and then it took over their sales organization. She was fantastic. I hired her. She's one of the best salespeople I've ever met in my life and, um, and then you know, started her own company that has been phenomenally successful and had no competence in mm-hmm. selling but had the ability to deal with people and had something that we call drive. And right. for me, that's like if I find someone that's got drive and, um, and there's a wonderful book called Never Hire a Salesperson, Bad Salesperson Again – and my company, we sell um, this assessment, full disclosure, called Sales Drive. But I believe in it because it's it's virtually a hundred percent predictive over and uh, into whether a salesperson will be successful in most sales jobs. And that is this: they have to be optimistic. You think about it. You know, you have to wake up every day and believe that you're going to win. Um, you have to be competitive so that when you face adversity and you get knocked down, it makes you mad. Versus makes you want to go away. That's what competitors do. They get back up and they keep going. And you have to have a, a high need for achievement. So you have to win for the sake of winning. Like you're not looking at, well, am I going to make a, a commission check? You're in, you're in it to win it because that's who you are. It's the air that you breathe. Now yeah. I can't make those, those, those are personality, internal personality traits. They're, they're basically innate emotional intelligence traits that you have to have. Now if you have those, and you don't know how to sell, or you like Kayla, my my rep, my brand new rep. She's got that, but she's not how to sell. So we need to teach her how to sell, and we need to teach her how to sell our product. Um, and there's argument for experience. Like I, you know, I've got enterprise type accounts. I've got sales reps who deal with my agencies. I don't put a 21 year old on those accounts. Right. I put people who have experience on those accounts in my company. Right. But this idea that a person has to have experience, to me, is it's, it's a fallacy with the exception of some industries and some products. I mean, like you're selling um, Gulfstream jets, for example. Let's just take that. And you've never sold capital equipment. 
and you've never sold to really wealthy people and you have no experience in, you know, jets or yachts or anything, you know, any high end, um, you know, business to consumer, business to business type things. I think you'd probably fail at that job or at least the ramp up would take you a long time. Yeah. You were in pharmaceuticals, same thing. You know, if you were in, like, if you're in medical device, mm-hmm. if you're pharma, I know that there's always a fight between pharma and medical device, but if you're, <laughs> if you're in, but if you're in medical device, it's going to be really hard to have someone who's fresh out of college go stand in front of a surgeon and make it, you know, give them advice right. on, um, on something that you would do with, like, say, a joint replacement, a new, you know, new technology and that. But, but that's not most jobs. I mean, most sales jobs are, they're, you know, they're, they're journeyman jobs. They're knocking on doors. They're selling mundane products. And most people don't work for the best company. Most people work for the second tier company or the third tier company because there can only be one best company. Perfect. So, Perfect. You know, so I think that we have to, we have to think about what's inside the person versus what's on the outside of the person. That's a great way to sum it up right now. For, as we go into our first break, we're here with Jeb Blunt, author of Fanatical Prospecting. We'll be right back after this message. This is Impact Talk Radio. Learn more on Dave Anderson's blog at andersonleadershipsolutions.com. Stay with us. Back after these. Passionate, dynamic, funny, straightforward, and down-to-earth are all words used to describe Dave Anderson as a speaker and a trainer. You know, people ask me, Dave, why not sales training? And I always say, you know, I could do sales training, and I do periodically. I did it for 20 years. But if I help somebody become a better salesperson, it's like helping somebody become a better accountant or a better engineer. Those skills, they stay at work when somebody heads home at night. But if I help them become a better leader at work, they go home, they're a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, better in their community, better in their ministries. I truly believe that leadership is what this world needs, whether it's at work or in our families. And if I can impact that during my lifetime, I know that I will have fulfilled my purpose before I meet my maker. If you want to book Impact Talk Radio host Dave Anderson as a speaker at your next meeting or convention, or you would like to discuss leadership development training opportunities with Dave, email him directly at dave at alslead.com. That's Dave at ALSLead.com. You can also follow Dave on Twitter at DaveAnderson88 and also on LinkedIn. Watch a video of Dave speaking at AndersonLeadershipSolutions.com. Leaders, if you want an engaged audience that walks away inspired and ready to become the leaders they were meant to be, contact Dave Anderson via email at Dave at ALSLead.com. Welcome back to Impact Talk Radio. No fluff, just straight talk with impact solutions for high-impact leaders. Here's Dave Anderson. 
All right, that's Aerosmith with uh, the song Same Old Song and Dance. And what we're trying to do is not give you guys the same old song and dance out here when we talk about looking for sales uh, salespeople and make you think about what what do I need – how do I need to find and then train these salespeople to think like a fanatical prospector, which is the book that Jeb Blunt has written. And Jeb, I, that's what I want to ask you. The people who are listening out here now, sometimes we've got sales managers listening. We've got, we got entrepreneurs. We've got small business leaders. We've got middle managers. We've got people from all across the spectrum. But one of the things that, they have, that we all have to do, and I truly believe, is if a leader's not developing their people, they aren't really leading. They might be managing, but they aren't really leading. So if they're developing their people, what are you know, one or two things that you say, you know what, I need to work on this fanatical prospecting for my team. How do they, what are some of the steps they should take to train their people in this way? So number one is if you're a leader and you want your people to prospect, you have to have the courage to make them prospect. So it's like anything else. If you're going on a diet, I mean, I keep going on diets and, you know, and I'm, I'm traveling and I find every reason not to. If I had a coach that was sitting next to me at every meal, I'd lose weight. Yeah. But I, I don't have sometimes the mental discipline when I'm tired and I'm hungry to do the right things. Salespeople have the same problem. Number one starts with the managerial courage to hold your people accountable to prospect every single day. That means if you have to go get them by the ear and sit them at a desk and put the phone in their hand and sit there and put it with a smile and you do it with a smile on your face, you're going to do a power hour. You're going to do a call block. You're going to do that. So that's number one. If you think that they're going to do it just because you showed up and said we're all going to do it, you're out of your mind. That will never happen. And I see, <laughs> I see, I see leaders do this every day, especially millennial leaders who are afraid of conflict, who are unwilling to. I'm just like, for me, it's just Teflon. People tell me they don't feel good about it, whatever. It just rolls off me. I don't care. We're going to get on the phone. We're going to prospect because this is a fundamental aspect of being good at selling. Number two is. Um, go pick up Fanatical Prospecting. I guarantee you it's the best book that you will ever read on prospecting. If you don't, if you don't like it, I'll give you my contact information. Send it back to me. I'll give you your money back. But in that book, by the way, there's a secret code that gives you access to fanaticalprospecting.com, and there's tons of training there. But go through that process. Have them read it. Yesterday, one of my new reps, we were talking about Kayla. I said, you're reading. I want you to read chapters 14, 15, and 16. I'm coming back today, and we're going to talk about those things. So you have to give them material to help them do that. Just because you hire them doesn't mean that they can. So you have to give them training material. And if you hire an outside company or you work with a company like mine, we do financial prospecting boot camps, you know, you can, no matter what it is, you have to train them. So you have to teach them. Then you have to observe them. You have to go sit next to them and watch them call. And just like a coach, a sports coach, um, a coach of any kind, you're going to observe them. You're going to give them feedback while they're making those calls and you're going to coach them. So you're going to train. Then you're going to observe them, and then you're going to coach them because training is going to give them the skills, right? It's going to give them what they what they need. It's basically, they're acquiring the knowledge, and what coaching does is helps them apply the knowledge. But you can't coach without observing, and you you see this all the time. Far too many sales leaders are sitting in their in their their uh, their office, staring at a computer screen, looking at their CRM, and trying to coach their salespeople. And by the mm-hmm. way, um, there's a uh, a fantastic book by a guy named Mike Weinberg, who you probably ought to have on your show, called Sales Management Simplified. Read that book. If you want to understand the concept that I'm talking about, Sales Management Simplified will help you with that. But then, then you've got to you know, train, observe, coach. Then you've got to follow up. So you've got you've to always hold people to kind of follow up, follow up, follow up. And follow up is not just catching them doing things wrong, but it's also catching them doing things right so that you can praise them 
right? so that you can reinforce the behaviors that you want so that they'll repeat themselves. And then you have to do that over and over and over and over again. If, if you think that you know, you're going to do all these things and then walk away and prospecting is going to happen without you ever intervening again, you are out of your mind. You are delusional. And trust me in this. In sales, you cannot be delusional and successful at the same time. <laughs> I love it. Look, why, don't we, why don't we close on that point? You can't be delusional and successful at the same time. Sometimes the, the best truths are the simplest truths. I got to tell you. Jeb, I want to make sure people know how to find you, how to get your contact information and things, where to, where to find the resources that you just mentioned. Where do they go? Absolutely. Well, you can, um, you can, there's two places, two websites. One is salesgravy.com. That's my flagship website. So you can catch me there. If you're in channel management, you can go to channeleq.co.co. Uh, and my personal blog where all my contact information is, is jebblunt.com. And you can go at it B-L-U-N-T or B-L-O-U-N-T, which is how my name is spelled. But jebblunt.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at salesgravy, on Instagram at salesgravy, on Snapchat at salesgravy, YouTube at salesgravy, and then Facebook and LinkedIn. You'll my my you'll find me um, at uh, Jeb Blunt. Jeb's everywhere, and you know what? He, we're going to bring him back for another show because we want to talk about specifically about leadership as, and his book, People Follow You. And so he'll be back for another show with us. Jeb, I want to thank you for being back on with us. Hey, and until the next time we're together, everybody out there listening, stop reacting and stop start leading. This is Impact Talk Radio, and I'm Dave Anderson. See you next time.